Our reading this evening is taken from Matthew chapter 27, verses 27 to 44. Heading for this section in Matthew chapter 27 is headed, The Soldiers Mock Jesus. Then the governor's soldiers took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole company of soldiers round him. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him and then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on his head. They put a staff in his right hand and knelt in front of him and mocked him. Hail, King of the Jews, they said. They spat on him and took the staff and struck him on the head again and again. After they had mocked him, they took off the robe and put his own clothes on him. Then they led him away to crucify him. As they were going out, they met a man from Cyrene named Simon, and they forced him to carry the cross. They came to a place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. There they offered Jesus wine to drink, mixed with gall. When they had crucified him, they divided up his clothes by casting lots, and, sitting down, they kept watch over him there. Above his head they placed the written charge against him, This is Jesus, King of the Jews. Two robbers were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, You who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. Come down from the cross if you are the Son of God. In the same way, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders mocked him. He saved others, they said. He can't save himself. He's the King of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross, and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I am the Son of God. In the same way, the robbers who were crucified with him also heaped insults on him. Amen. Let's pray again. Father, we thank you for this, uh, your written word, and we thank you for the living word, Jesus Christ, who is revealed through it. We thank you for sending your spirit to live within us. I pray now once again that uh, as we meet here that this spirit may not just be within our hearts but may be moving amongst us so that we may go out of here knowing not only that we have met with each other but we have met with you the living God. There's something more to do and there's something more to think about proclaiming you in this town. We ask for all this through Christ our Lord and the power of the Spirit who indwells. Amen. So if we have our first slide, that's it. That's the harmony of the complete uh, story from this passage, from all four Gospels. You will be pleased to know that we're only going to do the bits highlighted in Matthew, otherwise we would be here for a long time. And I've been told that I can't go any more than about an hour. So, you'll be okay. 
as you know from the reading, we're looking at this event in the life of Jesus Christ as recorded by his uh, friend and his disciple Matthew. And tonight we look at Jesus mocked, Jesus crucified, and the implications and challenges that those two things present us with. Matthew, throughout his Gospel, presents Jesus as a king. And that's probably his main theme as he writes. In chapter 27 alone, 27 alone, he mentions the word king seven times. He uses Old Testament images from passages such as Psalm 22 and Psalm 69 and Isaiah 53 to build up this story. And even if you are new to this story, nobody here should really be shocked by the macabre tale. I don't think anybody could really be that naive about human history and some of the horrors it contains. Human history is full of incidents and people treating others in less than a a human and dignified manner. The horrors of the killing fields that were Cambodia, the systematic persecution of Nazi Germany and the macabre excesses of Uganda in the last century, they've often been repeated through history, so we shouldn't be shocked by man's inhumanity to man. And this event, his crucifixion, we're now two slides on, Jesus has pointed towards this moment throughout his ministry. Jesus knew what we call the Old Testament. Jesus knew originally that there was no sin or evil in the world. Jesus knew that humanity had once enjoyed a perfect relationship with God and his creation. Wow. So I'm going to say that word a lot, so if you're not used to it, get used to it. Jesus knew humanity, chose to disobey God and cause sin and evil to enter into this world. But Jesus also knew from the Old Testament that God had promised that one day one day that relationship would be restored between God and his creation. Jesus knew the story of the patriarchs and the calling of the nation of a people separated out for God and that nation's subsequent travels, jubilations, trials and tribulations. Jesus knew these people were waiting for this Messiah to come, this Saviour, dare I say it, this King. And some of Jesus' first recorded words were Repent! The kingdom of God is at hand. Jesus continually affirmed who he was. The long-awaited-for Messiah. Wow! You'll get used to it. And throughout his ministry, Jesus had pointed towards that day, that specific moment of his being on the cross. For example, in Matthew's Gospel alone, Three times it's mentioned in chapter 16, verse 21, chapter 17, verse 22 to 33, and chapter 20, verse 17 to 19. There are just three occasions when Jesus has been explaining what all this means. Now after that introduction, we return to our passage in Matthew chapter 27. Uh, A couple of weeks ago we looked at the trial of Jesus and he had been declared guilty. 
Let's now go look firstly at the mocking of this Jesus before going on to look at his crucifixion. Jesus is mocked, ridiculed and scorned by several groups of people, Jew and Gentile alike, before his crucifixion and while he was on the cross. So firstly he's mocked by the Romans, the odious Romans. And they mock him in some sort of macabre game. These men would have been conscripted from across the Roman Empire to a place they didn't want to be in, with a people they couldn't care less about, and their mocking is born from ignorance rather than malevolence. Jesus was convicted of being a king, so we'll treat him like a king, shall we? Hmm. And Jesus then was simply part of the Jewish rabble that they had conquered in extending the Roman Empire. The Romans beating Jesus with the staff and spitting upon him were all part of some perverted game of degradation with the cape, the staff and crown continuing the mocking of this would-be king. King indeed. It was quite possibly a a form of stress release for them. And there was precedence for this sort of uh, mockery as seen in other documents of the time. So it was probably a normal part of the Roman crucifixion process. One uh, incident is that uh, someone was convicted of being a pirate, so they mocked up piracy for him and did similar sorts of things. So it wasn't just something that was set out for Jesus alone. And then in 38 to 42 verses, uh, he's mocked by others and the Jewish leaders, including some, uh, as Jesus hangs on that tree. And these people challenge Jesus to come down to the cross. If he was really the Son of God, come and save himself. Ha, 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 sarcastically. They had possibly heard what Jesus had said earlier in his ministry. I will destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days, Jesus said. Or they may well have heard the rumours about Jesus, because there would have been rumours spreading about him. Or they may have been there when Jesus entered the city, jubilantly as recorded in Matthew chapter 21. And what these people did not realise is that it was precisely because he was the Messiah that he could not come down from that cross. This was the Messiah that they were expecting. They blinked and they missed. And Jesus could have come down from the cross with legions of angels to help him. But you know what? He chose not to. And as if to complete the mockery, the criminals he has crucified will join in. Although as Luke uh, records, one of them later becomes penitent. Jesus, mocked by ignorant Romans, irreligious Gentiles, religious Jews, religious Jewish leaders, and finally, common criminals. From the breadth of society, Jesus is rejected, mocked, insulted, and scorned. So Jesus is mocked. Let's now move on to where Jesus is crucified. As was normal practice, not just in the sake of Jesus, but most crucifixions, Prisoners due for crucifixion were whipped and scourged. Pieces of stone and metal attached to the whips in order to inflict as much damage as possible during the flogging. Then if they were still alive, 
prisoners were forced to carry their own cross to their execution. Crucifixion had been used by civilizations down through time. And the Romans had merely adopted it for their own purposes. And following his beating and his scourging, uh, uh, Jesus couldn't bear his own cross. So the Roman soldiers forced this man, Simon of Cyrene, to carry it. Simon was probably a peasant who held neither uh, rank or high in public esteem. Then the Romans offered a, a form of opiate or a drug for Jesus to drink. But Jesus refused it. And some speculate that Jesus didn't want to drink it because uh, he wouldn't be fully conscious during his suffering. But as I said, that's only speculation. And then lastly, before setting, uh, sitting down to keep watch, uh, the Roman soldiers divide Jesus' clothes. And there is Jesus on the cross. Beaten, flagellated, ridiculed, naked. A sign with the accusation against him, this is Jesus, King of the Jews, was placed on the cross. And as Matthew alone says, it's above Jesus' head, almost like another crown on a king. In the eyes of the Romans, Jesus was guilty of trying to make himself a king. So the sign was also to act as a deterrent to others who would make such claims. Because if they did, they would suffer this same fate. Matthew sees Jesus as a king. And as I said, he writes his gospel with that in mind. Jesus the king, mocked and crucified. But what does that mean for us? What does Jesus being on the cross mean for us? In the Old Testament, which is my, one of my favourite parts, particularly the book of Leviticus, but we won't go there. I've met, I decided not to mention Leviticus, but I just have. Because it's a book of joy. Because it tells of a God who wants to live with his people. Well, maybe I'm the only one who thinks that. And in the Old Testament, we read of how the nation of Israel was looking forward to this day when the Messiah would come and a permanent sacrifice to be, was to be made. Because all the other sacrifices were temporary. They were just a veneer, a covering. Well, here it is. This is what Jesus' mission was all about. To be that perfect and permanent sacrifice. Not just to cover sin, but to wipe it away. Wow. You'll, get, you'll be saying, well, by the end of the night. And that permanent sacrifice is what occurred on the cross of Jesus Christ. That is why Jesus suffered as he did. Humiliated, beaten, mocked and scorned and it's only through Jesus Christ being on that cross that the stain of sin can be taken away because Jesus is the permanent and ultimate sacrificial substitute and you know what the cross of Christ is the climax of human history all the time before it was looking forward and waiting for this event and all the time after the event of Jesus on the cross looks back upon it and for the Gospel writers, the cross of Christ was the climax of their story because they knew what it was meant. Jesus on the cross bore the consequences of all sin, of all earth, over all periods of time, past, present and future. What's that word? Wow! Jesus on the cross became sin 
for humanity. And it was his blood that finally fulfilled God's requirements permanently. And Jesus on the cross was propitiation or an offering to turn aside God's anger towards sin. In some church circles, propitiation is a naughty word and you're not supposed to say it. If you say it, you get a slap wrist. But I'm used to slap wrists. All of God's anger and judgment of sin fell on Jesus. And he alone, as an innocent sufferer, instead of falling upon sinful and guilty humanity, fell upon him. How's that for a Jesus wow factor? Jesus on the cross is a peace offering to God. Another Jesus wow factor. And even further, another wow factor coming up, it was an act of redemption. Jesus on the cross meant that God had paid redemption so that humans could be freed from sin. And those four things are not an exhaustive list, but mere examples of what it means for Jesus to be on the cross. You'll probably be very pleased to know that I don't have time to go further. Adam may get upset. Because of the cross and the cross alone, humanity can choose to be back in relationship with God. It's not forced upon anybody, but there is a compulsion about it. A magnetic appeal, if you like. We have the option to take up Jesus' cross and sacrifice, or not to take it. It's our choice. What have you decided? We can have a relationship with God because of this Jesus being on the cross. We can choose to be declared cleansed from sin and free from slavery to sin. Have you made your choice? The cross means that Jesus intercedes for us. Uh, We're given the Holy Spirit to live within, within us and we are granted direct access to God the Father through Jesus the Son in the power of the Spirit. But it's a choice. Have you taken up that choice, that offer? And the cross is God's glory. The events on the cross are not meant to portray Jesus as some form of sadomasochistic tragic hero as some people try to make it up to be in Godspell and Jesus Christ Superstar and other things. The cross of Christ rather epitomises God's glory. And if there were any other way that God could restore people into a relationship with himself, then surely God would have done it that way. But there was no other way. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, a member of the, the, the Trinity, hung on a Roman cross. This Jesus took on the sins of the world, paying the greatest price so that you and I can be restored into a relationship with God. What's the word? Wow. And the cross is amazing love in action. The cross is the wisdom of God displayed. The cross is a wow-wow factor of God. So Jesus is mocked, Jesus is crucified, And here's our challenge. If all that's part of the meaning of Jesus and the cross, what are the challenges there for us in this passage? How are we to react to this passage from Matthew? What challenges face us from this scene of execution as we go through this evening series at Easter? We mock Jesus as well. Even as Christians living today, we have the capacity to mock this Jesus. How do we do that? We do it by engaging in sin. 
either actively or passively. Particularly those times where at the back of our mind we say, oh, it's okay, I'll ask for forgiveness after. And don't tell me I'm the only one who does it. Because I know that I'm not. That's mocking Jesus because we're cheapening grace and we're effectively crucifying him all over again. Pulling that robe off him from those congealed wounds. As a result of Jesus going to the cross, as Christians we've been declared holy because we now wear Jesus Christ's robe of righteousness. It was given to us as a gift of grace. And when we sin, it's as if we're casting lots for that robe and tearing it up. How's that for a wow factor? And as Christians, we're to live a life of obedience to God. When we sin, either through active or passive disobedience, it's almost like they're throwing Jesus' death back in his face and saying, Oi, you up there! If you're the Son of God, come down here and show us. That's what happens when we sin. Sin is that serious. Sinful acts, sinful thoughts, sinful words, sinful attitudes grieve the Holy Spirit who lives within us. It's why when we come to God in penitence to ask forgiveness for the sins that we commit against Him, against humanity and against our own self, we should ask to be filled anew with the Spirit. But even more, how do we react to being mocked because we are followers of Jesus? How do we react when we see our Jesus and our God mocked in the press? because it does happen, and increasingly so, within Britain. Either in the media, on our television screens, in our papers, on the internet, in our workplace, our social activities, and our schools. And perhaps I'm not the only one to have been around when Monty Python's Life of Brian was released. And despite their claims that it wasn't meant to be a mockery, it was certainly blasphemous mockery, wasn't it? Is our reaction to mockery of ourselves and of our Jesus with an attitude of ignorance is bliss or a valid shrug of the shoulders? Or is it with reactionary anger and indignation? I don't know. I'm not that clever. I'm not very clever at all. But I do know one way to react and that's the Jesus way. What did Jesus say? Jesus said, Love your enemies. And bless those who curse you. Or we could say, love your enemies and bless those who mock you. How's that for a wow factor? So where to love? And we all know John 3.16, don't we? Can we say it? For God so loved the world that he only so that Amen. And our active response to John 3.16 is found in 1 John 3.16. But do you know that verse? This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid his life down for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Wow. How's your Jesus welfare now? I asked some people recently to say some things that they've done for other people. One had all their bills paid by their family and friends when her husband was found to have cancer. Another saved the life of a stranger by giving her CPR in the pub. 
And she's only just learnt her first aid. Another spent time listening to somebody. Another person was helped by her young daughter to dress and wash her hair. A couple I know in Australia have over the last 20 years opened their house, their love, their time and their family to 38 foster children. Hopefully I'll be seeing them next month. The family, not the children. And all those were some measure of sacrifice, including time and money and talents. But those exhibitions of love were not acts towards strangers or mockers, but rather friends, families and strangers. And we are called by Jesus to love our enemies, just as Jesus did on that cross. We're called not just to love each other, but to love all others, including those who mock and scorn. This is a love which speaks of sacrifice, mirroring that of the Jesus we claim to love. And if Jesus' love is truly in our hearts, we should be eager to reciprocate that love to other people. Jesus' love as exhibited in his life and on the cross was a love which was uh, without thought of any return, without any thought of it being deserved by others, and a love without self-interest. How's your love of other people? And this town of Ringwood would be changed like that if we loved each other and those outside the churches with that sacrificial love. Let's show some God-given creativity to show sacrificial love to others. And how can we love like that? That kind of love is always available to us through Jesus because we have the Spirit within us if we're listening. And Jesus is the source of such love. We can't do it in our own strength, but the more we're open to receive it from Jesus, who is to be our Master, we ask Him for it, then His love will overflow from us to other people. Wow! Each of us here has been given by a generous God in differing quantities, amongst other things, talent, time and money. The way to show gratitude to Jesus is to love others sacrificially, not just with words, but with actions. And lastly, you may be pleased to know, we can know that God is personal, because Jesus being fully God and fully human, God himself has suffered. I don't know how you're suffering today. I forget how I'm suffering. My mother recently had a fall and broke her other hip. She's just had an emergency surgery, so I'm off to probably see her in about three weeks' time. But I can only go due to the sacrificial giving of others and the grace of God. And this awesome and almighty God, who is outside time and space, entered time and space to intimately know what suffering was all about because of the suffering Jesus endured on the cross. Matthew's innocent, suffering king is the reason why we who are Christians have a hope. Because the God we serve personally knows suffering. And he has endured suffering just as we do. How's your wow factor? Wow. And God isn't some inanimate and passive carving placed on a shelf or on a wall which is immune to the suffering of the world. No, our God 
is a living, personal, dynamic and active God who knows the suffering we ourselves endure. And we know that because he himself has suffered. Not sympathetically lifeless, unemotional and unresponsive statue that's placed on a shelf and bowed down to, but an intimate, dynamic, responsive and living, personal being who has shared in our sufferings through Jesus on the cross. I don't know how you or those you love are suffering today. I don't need to know. But I do know that God knows. And that he knows about personal suffering because this great and awesome God suffered on a Roman cross 2,000 years ago. When Jesus was whipped, beaten, mocked, scorned, rejected, amongst other things. So let's go from here, determined to live a life worthy of these Jesus that you claim to worship. You've sung the songs. You'll be held to account for the words that you sing. Let's go here, uh, determined not to mock him still by our sinful desires and actions and words and thoughts and attitudes. Let's go from here, determined to love others sacrificially as a response to Jesus on the cross and as a response to those who mock him for following him. Let's go from here, willing to be generous in all aspects of life and thereby reflect the generous God who has given everything that people may know him. Let's go from here, determined to blow our cover and be known as a people to love. And it may be that you're not a Christian here tonight. I don't know. Then please do make yourself known to Adam or some of us afterwards. And we would love to talk to you more about this Jesus and the God who suffered. Take the opportunity while you can. You may not get another chance. But Jesus being mocked on the cross is not the end of the story. And we look forward to the rest of this series over the next couple of weeks. Hopefully I haven't preempted anything Owen and the others are going to say. And so we'll close with a prayer. Father, we thank you for sending your Son so that we, through his suffering, may come to know you in a personal, intimate, active, dynamic, permanent relationship. We thank you for this Jesus who died so that we may have that. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that, that you personally know our sufferings. And we thank you, Holy Spirit, that you come to live within us and you are moving within us now. Help us as we go into the rest of this service and into this week being reminded of how we can be loving sacrificially to others. We ask all this through uh, Jesus, the Son of God, and in the power of God, the Holy Spirit. Amen.